0: Welcome everyone to another episode of our podcast series, Public Sector Heroes. The goal of this series, as you know, is to introduce you to innovators, thought leaders, and experts who are truly driving impact and change across more than $12 trillion in spending by governments worldwide. Today, I'm excited to have a true visionary as my guest, Kevin Cornish, who's founder of Moth & Flame. Moth & Flame is an Emmy-nominated and award-winning company that builds immersive training technology, bringing innovative virtual reality learning solutions for the private and public sector. Just recently, Moth & Flame was awarded a contract by the U.S. Air Force to bring virtual reality suicide prevention training to over 10,000 U.S. Air Force personnel. Welcome, Kevin, to our uh, podcast, uh, Public Sector Heroes. Great to have you here.
1: Yeah, thanks, Raj, for having us. We're uh, really excited to chat and, you know, your, your mission is aligns with a lot of the stuff that we talk about on a daily basis. So glad to have this chance.
0: Great. Thanks. And, and congratulations on this important uh, award that you just received from the U.S. Air Force. Wow. Well, talk about an important piece of work, um, suicide prevention, which is so important right now um, across our, uh, defense forces, but also really across, uh, across the country and across the world. uh, just because of all the issues and, and mental health issues, uh, risen by, uh, COVID. So can you tell us a bit about what you'll be doing for the air force, uh, through this contract?
1: Yeah. So it's kind of, it's kind of an amazing time for virtual reality, uh, because, Um, the technology is there at a place where it can scale and it can really be, um, used to address big issues, um, that, that have impact to big numbers of people and the challenge that the, the, the challenge of around suicide prevention is such, it's such a big, um, challenge for an enterprise about how to address something like this that's happening it's such across such a, a large population um, for any types of of enterprise leaders when they're when they're thinking about training one of the biggest challenges how do you how do you train to a large number of people and for this program the previous solution had been powerpoint And it was something that when we started to talk to the to the folks running the run of the program it started from this place of you know we're we got stuff that we that we need to teach and we're teaching it with powerpoint and it's just not working and what can we do to do a better job of teaching it and specifically there is something that they had identified um from talking with survivors about what, what could be done to help? What if, what could somebody have done before that, that last step had been taken? And the information that came back was, you know, if somebody would have just asked, if somebody would have asked me how I was doing, it would have made all the difference. And so then from the organizational level, asking that question, how do, you, how do we train people to ask? How do we train people to have the difficult conversations that they're not gonna be comfortable with, that they don't have practice having? That often maybe somebody will only have to have one time in their life, uh, and in that moment, when they have that crucial, mo- crucial conversation, how can we get them prepared for it? And this is something that virtual reality is incredibly well uh, suited for as a medium, because it can create scenarios and put you into real life uh, situations, create the kind of stress on your body, that happens when you're, when you're in a difficult conversation and then give you an opportunity to practice in a safe space, going through the process of, of just saying those tough words so that you get comfortable with them. Uh, and you, when it's, when it's time in the real world to be able to say it, you're, you're not saying them for the first time. So that was kind of the kind of the goal of the program. And specifically in this in this experience, um, it's it's created for four different tiers So personalized learning is something that's really important for the Air Force. So so there's a for a a general workforce, there's a training for supervisors. There's another version of the training for commanders. There's another version of the training. And then most importantly, with this um, training for the spouses was something that was really emphasized from the beginning of there are people who have the closest access to potential uh, at-risk airmen. Um, why are we not getting them the same super high quality training that we're getting, getting for everybody else? So that was something that was really exciting uh, that they added into this program. And so in, it, in the general workforce, you're talking to a friend. And in these conversations, you're inside of a virtual reality headset there's natural language processing. Uh, so it recognizes your voice and what you're saying. And uh, based on what you say, the person reacts in different ways. And there's kind of a, a choose your own adventure aspect mm-hmm. to it. And there's a framework that the Air Force wants people modeling behavior around. and you go through the experience. And what's amazing is, is the, the results and the responses that people have had. Um, so this has been live for, for a few months. And so there's some numbers that have come out um, around the response. And one of the most important ones is the engagement rates and the engagement rates measured by um, recommendations and kind of a net promoter type, store, type score but the 97% uh, is kind of the number that keeps coming back um, kind of week after week, month after month, this program being live. And if you think about yearly required legal trainings that have to be administered across, you know, hundreds of thousands of people in different government organizations, the idea of a required training, getting a 97% uh, referral and recommend rate is something that is just unheard of um, from these type this, these types of organizations, and that's what what we're seeing um, in terms of levels of excitement from um, training leaders about the possibilities of virtual reality and, and how they can build an entire you know backbone of their um, tra- training organizations around this new medium come from the fact that the people using it uh, on the ground love it and there's great measurable effectiveness about how effective uh, it is and this one it's you know over 100% improvements in confidence and preparedness and other key key metrics like that and over-indexing in the 17 to 24 population, which is in a lot of ways the hardest to reach, especially when you've got a lot of traditional modalities like computer-based training, where leaders know that when they deploy computer-based training, that demographic is clicking next with one hand and is on Instagram in the other hand. So as, as there's more kind of success stories within this program around the air force we're seeing a lot of different use cases that are use cases that are that are going to be starting to expand to other part, parts of the government um one thing that when we when we hear from customers about different use cases and different needs um we hear a recurring theme and it is that there's a problem that they're dealing with that's a problem related to waste and it's mm-hmm. often waste related to brick and mortar inefficiencies. So you think about like different categories of waste. There's waste of dollars, the obvious one. There's waste of time. Uh, and then most importantly, there's the opportunity cost um, of, of wasted talent. and. So I'll kind of talk through how virtual reality has been doing a great job of of addressing all three. On the on the cost side, you know we've got a we've got a customer they've got a thousand people uh, that they need to get through a training uh, each year. Um, this is a required training. It involves an aircraft uh, and going through some procedures. You know their line item, kind of on a per year basis, is about three thousand dollars per per person. So they extrapolated that out. This is they got a three million dollar line item per year. Looked mm-hmm. at that over five years. Looked at that fifteen million dollars and saw the moonshot and said, "Well, what, what, if, what if this new technology could save us ten x for getting through this required training?" Uh, and we we launched that program last year, and it was a big success. Achieved that moonshot. That organization looked around their, their training curriculum, found 31 different use cases where they could find similar ROI. And we're moving into year two of a seven year plan to take that curriculum into, into virtual reality. Another one that's that's just so important, and this is something that we're seeing a lot in, um, in uh, the pilot training community is around waste of time uh, due to bottlenecking in brick and mortar locations so Mm -hmm. in pilot training simulator time is really hard to come by so if um a simulator you know if a student can only book two or three simulator uh slots per week well there's a lot of time that they can't be they can't be getting that high fidelity training so they can't they can't be learning and Additionally, if they can go into one of those sim rides and show that they already understand the curriculum that's gonna be taught to them, they can proficiency advance and skip forward in the curriculum. And by taking trainings, putting them into virtual reality, we've we've got a base at a pilot training program where kids are taking the headsets back to their dorm rooms. They're doing sim rides in their dorm rooms at night the night before they've got some time scheduled and then they can come in the next morning and say well i've got here's here's kind of my display of competency on the thing that we were planning on talking about today and they can they can skip forward in the curriculum which means over that limited period of time when they're there um, they actually can get deeper into the more mission critical more situational awareness type trainings that otherwise wouldn't, wouldn't have been available to them without virtual reality. And that's one where by augmenting um, and supplementing uh, current training, virtual reality uh, adds a whole lot. And um, the third one, and I think this is kind of the most important, is the opportunity cost to talent. Uh, that when people aren't able to improve themselves because they don't have you know, the tools, the instructors, kind of whatever they need to, to be getting better, uh, that's a big cost to them and their potential, their motivation, their excitement about and, and their career acceleration. And so what we're seeing with virtual reality is people can do it as many times as they want, when they want, wherever they want. And so all of the traditional constraints uh, that go with training um, go away because somebody can do this in their own time. And by doing it in their own time, they don't have the pressure of, well, I know there's an instructor waiting for me to get this done, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rush
0: through it. Or There's a lot of flexibility, and especially, I think, during COVID now, a lot of people not being even in their workplaces, et cetera, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's great. Those are three great examples. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just curious then, uh, what are other use cases? You, you just went through three you know, scenarios and or, or uh, types of waste uh, that uh, your solutions and, and, and to me, it's, it's really important, I think, talking about those, the waste and, and and how you describe kind of preventing, because I think a lot of times at least in my experience, the time isn't invested even in training and when it is, it's done so poorly. So the experience is a lot of times not great. And and that's why you have a lot of people really kind of checking the box. Um, I'm just curious from, you know, going back to the legacy of the firm. um, You know, I was reading and and just uh, totally in awe, I would love to understand now, how do you, you started with the entertainment industry and you work with you know companies like Netflix, MTV, Google. Um, how does that? Could you and could you talk a little bit about how you know that experience of working with the entertainment industry and the different use cases there? I was reading about some of the movies as well. Um, how does that kind of translate into what you're doing now for the Air Force, for instance? Yeah, I mean it's 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 fascinating. Uh,
1: the connection and, and you know it's not it's like uh, you mentioned about entrepreneurs like every entrepreneur story starts with a left turn <laughs> yeah. uh, not a not anything that that we expected when we started out on our journey in virtual reality in 2015 but the thing that um, the thing that was our focus in telling high quality um, providing high quality entertainment experiences is uh, the immersion of the viewer and that's the engagement. It's how 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 enthralled is somebody with whatever it is that they're seeing on the screen and how emotionally connected are they? And so I think this was kind of one of the things that was really attractive to people in the learning and development field about what we were doing because those things like emotional connection uh, and immersion and engagement, those are kind of the first things that need to happen to have great learning experience. And if, you, if you've if you got somebody engaged, if you've got somebody's attention, then you can g- deliver the message that you wanna, wanna deliver. But if they're not paying attention because they're distracted, just because we, we live in this kind of world of constant stimulation, it's hard for your message to get through. So that was kind of the journey for us was we started off of, um, how do we make the most compelling entertainment experience possible and then in the learning and development field those leaders saw what we were doing and said we could really use your help and then as that as that was happening you know a couple of things a couple of things were happening when the adoption on the headsets on the consumer side is still a few years off before there's going to be a real consumer market for entertainment there's not as much of adoption needed Uh, at the enterprise. So like uh, our customer on the Air Force that's that's providing 10,000 trainings, there are 50 headsets required to deliver those 10,000 trainings. So Mm -hmm. you can really get a lot of leverage uh, per headset. And so that opened up the opportunity to do a lot more um, ambitious work in the learning and development field when it came to pushing the bounds of the technology and what was possible. Um, And then Something else is just the world's changed a lot in the last five, six years that the the importance of a company having a mission, the importance of thinking about what it is that you're doing and how does that relate to a higher good? I think it's just much more at the front of people's minds and in thinking about if you could have a company where the goal is to get likes and impressions, or if you could have a company where the goal is to improve people's lives by making them better at the skills that define who they are, which one of those (laughs) is gonna make people feel better getting up in the morning? Um, I think as that kind of dichotomy became clearer and clearer as the company evolved, um, it was kind of obvious which direction we were gonna be better at and which, which direction was going to be better
0: for us to be better at. That's great. Um, and I, I can I can see it now that you describe it. I mean, you know, the best movies that where, you know, we're at the edge of our seat and can't get up and you feel like truly you're part of that experience, it is all about that emotional connection, right? And that immersive experience that you described. So uh, if you can take people through learning and development programs that way, uh, now I want to go through that program, or at least some of them. So uh, I'll be maybe something with your team. So uh, that that's great. Could you just um, you know uh, tell us uh, there are many companies as part of our mission that we are really focused on getting into. Um, Uh, government because they're doing amazing things sometimes they look at the government market and say wow it's overwhelming it's too complex and all the horror stories they hear about now you've obviously uh, (laughs) do and working with now on some really important ridiculously crazy uh, mission meaning in a great way you know the impact of saving lives right could you talk about what advice why work with you know public sector government and, and uh, any other advice you may have for companies, entrepreneurs that are l- l- maybe kind of timid about it? Yeah,
1: I think that there's, um, there's a lot of great opportunities um, through the SBIR program. Mm-hmm. Um, especially anything related to the Air Force through Afworks. Mm-hmm. Um They have an open topic program where if you've got a technology that you think would be great for the Air Force and you're a commercial company, you can submit to that open topic um, and there are no preset requirements for what they're looking for. It's they're looking for industry to bring them ideas for what they need. Um, That's kind of, that can be kind of a great way in. That was great for us that by getting that um, SBIR um, first contract, it creates uh, a sole source contracting vehicle so that customers who want to buy innovation products from your company and they want to buy them fast, they can do it without going through traditional bid processes because of that sole source protection. And that's something that applies across the federal government. So even though our first customer is with the Air Force, uh, any other customer, um, any other customer in the federal government, uh, can access that contracting vehicle through the IDIQ of the of the phase three that got developed off of that. Um, so that's a that's a great great way, um, and just especially with anything that's deep tech, um, there's an incredible kind of from in there's an incredible tradition of the government providing R and D funding for the next generation, whether it's GPS, whether it was the internet, a great example, um, SRI being like a DARPA funded project that then becomes the company that gets sold to Apple called Siri, um, that the, the early funding from the government before there was a commercial market for the technology was what made that, the whole voice assistant yeah. ecosystem possible. So, especially for anything that's super future facing, um, there's, a, there's a lot of great value. And I'll tell you kind of a specific example for us. Um, I'd say the Air Force is about two to three years ahead of the commercial space
0: right.
1: in terms of their virtual reality adoption. So we have to do things like on our cloud product to get it secure, to be able to work with DOD. With Well, on our commercial side, as we're working with like financial services companies, one of the most important things is of course going to be cloud security. So for us to have already built out that infrastructure, because we needed to deliver that to the Air Force last year. So as we're kind of looking at customer needs on the commercial side for next year, we're already ahead of the game, because we were we were able to do it at scale with the government, to meet their needs, which really, in a lot of ways, a big and ent- servicing software to a big enterprise, it's the numbers that are, you know, if you've got over 100,000 people in an organization, there are gonna be a lot of similarities between how the government works and how, how the, uh, the commercial sector works, even though on the surface, they may seem very different.
0: That's a great point, and 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 uh, thank you for that. And by the way, we also are beneficiaries of a phase two Silver. Uh So, uh, but but I think the last point you just made, Kevin, uh, is an important one. That you know, I always tell entrepreneurs that is any market easy to navigate. Is any is any market at the end of the day easy to sell into? No, right. Everything requires a lot of work uh, at the end, a lot of clawing your way through it, right? So, so the public sector is no different. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time today to join uh, to join us, and I hope uh, to do a couple more chats with you, learn more about your, you know, the founder story, as we call it, and and learn more about kind of what motivates you and drives you. Uh, on on these important missions thank you kevin
1: awesome thank you so much for your time and and everything that you're doing to uh to support innovators and entrepreneurs
0: everywhere great thank you yeah thanks everyone and uh we will uh be um sharing this uh and you can access our podcast through multiple channels uh as well as um on our site thank you